You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is the Artist Profile Series, episode 33. Julian of Norwich was a medieval English mystic born around year 1342 and who died around year 1420. Her name Julian is likely not her actual name, but is taken from the city's church of St. Julian in Norwich, where she lived a life of an anchoress, one devoted to prayer and deep solitude. Much of Julian's life remains unknown to us, with the exception of a few historical records and a brief mentioning of her in Marjorie Kemp's autobiography, The Book of Marjorie Kemp. But the bulk of what we know of Julian comes from biographical passages in her own book, Revelations of Divine Love. This book, now considered a classic of contemplative literature, is also the first known book to have been written in the English language by a woman. Julian penned two versions of her book. First, a shorter version in which she simply outlines a series of mystical visions or showings as she calls them. Then after 20 years of meditating on her experiences, she writes a much longer version to include her interpretations and prayerful understanding of the meanings behind the visions. Many of the details of Julian's visions contradict and even criticize the perspectives of medieval clergy. Her visions took place at a time when the church's word and God's word were taken as synonymous. To contradict the church's doctrine was seen as an offense toward God. Furthermore, to write and teach authoritatively as a woman was highly frowned upon and that Julian wrote her manuscript in the vernacular or the common dialect of the people indicated that she intended her work to be read by a larger audience than those of her anchorage. Perhaps if Julian's writings had gained more notoriety during her day, she would have been tried for heresy as were many others. But Julian privately devoted her life to seek God for deeper instruction concerning her visions. It was after her intense encounters that she determined to become an anchoress and set about the work of reconciling her revelations with the received faith of her religion. The tenderness of God shown to her through her revelation differed dramatically from the condemning posture of damnation taught by the church of her day. Rather than seeing God as wrathful and angry with humanity, Julian experienced God as merciful and compassionate, as one who would in the end restore all things. And so she spent the rest of her life reconciling the church's teaching with her intimate understanding of God's love. It wasn't until some 250 years after her death, in 1670, when her revelations were finally published. Julian tells us in her opening passages that when she was a young girl, she had asked three gifts from God. The first was to understand his passion firsthand, as if she were an eyewitness to his sufferings on the cross. Her second request was to suffer physically alongside of Christ while still a young woman, specifically at the age of 30 years old. She desired to be purged of her own less-than-divine nature through identifying with the sufferings of Jesus. And then lastly, she asked to have as God's gift three wounds, deep humility, compassion, and longing after God. 
May of 1373, at her requested age of 30 years old, Julian in fact did fall ill with a sickness that nearly took her life. For three days and three nights, she suffered with paralysis, shortness of breath, and failing eyesight. And on the fourth day of her sickness, the parish priest was called in and she was given last rites. It was presumed that she would not live until morning. The priest set a crucifix before her and told her to look at it and to be strengthened. Julian writes that, The room became dark about me, as if it were night, except for the image of the cross, which somehow was lighted up, but how was beyond my comprehension. Julian is then taken into an encounter with God that continued for the next 24 hours. All of her pain disappeared, and she began to see spiritual sights which appeared more real to her than her physical surroundings. In the first of her visions, she witnesses blood trickling down from the crown of thorns pressed upon Jesus' head. She describes the vision as living and vivid and hideous and fearful and sweet and lovely. She's comforted at the sight and is certain that the experience is not a hallucination induced by her sickness. She says, I was overwhelmed with wonder that he, so holy and awful, could be so friendly to a creature at once sinful and carnal. Julian's mystical visions continued in equal intensity, each depicting another facet of God's unending love for humanity. She converses with God throughout the experience and is given deep spiritual insights into prayer, theological issues, and the loving nature of God, which she will spend the rest of her life deciphering. The summation of her 16 showings emphasize the overwhelming love God has for creation and boldly portrays the feminine qualities of the divine nature as caregiver. In several passages, she refers to Jesus as our true mother. She says, The mother's service is nearest, readiest, and surest. Nearest because it is most natural, readiest because it is most loving, and surest because it is truest. No one ever might or could perform this office fully, except only for Him. We know that all our mothers bear us for pain and for death. Oh, what is that? But our true mother, Jesus, he alone bears us for joy and for endless life. Blessed He be. While this impression of Jesus may seem strange even to our modern ears, imagine what faith it must have taken for Julian to trust the validity of her experience in the face of a deadly patriarchal society given to killing anyone who defied their understanding of orthodoxy. And imagine what courage it must have taken for Julian to write this down for others to read and experience with her. Although there's not a wealth of information about the life of Julian of Norwich, placing her life in proper context and understanding the culture and circumstance in which she lived and wrote reveals the revolutionary nature of her writing and highlights why this medieval mystic's experience is still pertinent for us today. Julian lived during a time of religious and social upheaval. 
It was a time of intense human distress. The bubonic plague had swept through the land when she was a young girl and had returned several times over the years, claiming the lives of millions and shrouding the atmosphere with fear and death. France and England were engaged in the Hundred Years' War from 1337 until 1453. There were factions within the Catholic Church, resulting in the establishment of two separate popes, each considering the other to be the Antichrist. There were religious protests and public killings for dissident martyrs such as John Wycliffe and others who were tried as heretics. The religious leaders of her day proclaimed that these crises, famines, plagues, and uprisings were proof of God's displeasure with humanity. Their teachings focused on hell and damnation and sought to maintain strict religious control with threats of excommunication and death. When placed in the foreground of this turbulent environment, it becomes all the more remarkable to consider Julian's encounters and how in the midst of all of this, she revealed a compassionate, nurturing, loving God who longed to draw near to humanity. I want to leave you with one final highlight from the life and writings of Julian of Norwich that I think will offer a bit of hope for those of us living and creating during the turbulence of our own times. In her 13th showing, Julian is troubled over God's permitting sin to have entered the world when his foresight could have prevented it. She knows God to be good, she knows God to be wise, and is disturbed to know why would he not have stopped sin from entering the world through Adam's folly. She says, I had often wondered why the foreseeing wisdom of God could not have prevented the beginning of sin. For then, thought I, all would have been well. And to her questioning, Jesus answers her with the line made famous by the poet T.S. Eliot, who borrowed it for his poem, Little Gidding. Jesus says to her, Sin is necessary, but all will be well and all will be well, and every kind of thing will be well. Another version reads, Sin was necessary, but it is all going to be all right. It is all going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. Julian comments that these words were said most tenderly, with never a hint of blame, either to me or to any of those to be saved. But far from being an empty and pious platitude, this statement placed onto the lips of Jesus that all will be well acknowledges the pain of our broken present while comforting us with the promise that in the end, all things will be mended. When I think of the life and writings of Julian of Norwich, I'm struck by her subversive humility that in a time when women were not permitted to be teachers, she wrote with the authority of one who had been instructed from the manifest presence of God himself. And when the world was given over to a toxic masculine dominance, she discovered the feminine nature of God. And when the world's sorrows were thought to be wrathful expressions of divine judgment, Julian portrayed a God in love with creation who promised its restoration. 
I'm deeply moved by Julian's unyielding faithfulness to further understand the deeper meanings of her encounter and to search it out for 20 years of her life, despite the rigor and difficulty she faced to follow the call. Many of us flitter about from one inspiration to the next, but Julian stayed the course, and at the end of her revelations of divine love, She discusses how after 15 years of searching, she learns that love was his meaning. Who showed you? Love. What did he show you? Love. Why did he show it? For love. Hold on to this and you will know and understand love more and more. But you will not know or learn anything else, ever. She ends by saying, So it was that I learned that love was our Lord's meaning, and I saw for certain, both here and elsewhere, that before ever He made us, God loved us, and that His love has never slackened, nor ever shall. I find solace in the showings of Julian of Norwich, who makes it easier to discover divine love in the midst of our own personal chaos, social upheaval, and the presence of the pandemic. It's comforting to witness that despite, or perhaps even as a result of, the dark and oppressive environment, the Middle Ages produced a wealth of countercultural artists and pioneering mystics who found courage to go against the grain of the status quo, and who trusted God to lead them into a new and unexplored spiritual landscape. And who knows, perhaps like Julian, our own healing comes by a renewed openness to receive an unexpected vision of God one that appears more real than even the world surrounding us. And perhaps in our own most desperate hour, the divine lover will enrapture us again within our own showings, with a new and unexpected creative work that will carry us for years to come and resonate across the centuries. One that assures us, despite everything happening in the world and within our own contradictory selves, all is going to be all right. It is all going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics Artist Profile Series. Please follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and tune in next week for another full interview episode.